Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinema Files Radio. I am your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, we're still having a little issues with that volume control there. That volume really loves to be really, really up. I really hope you're having a really fantastic weekend as well as a really great week. I hear we're having a big heat blast in California as we're having a cold string here in Colorado. That's a, that's a fantastic little piece of nebulous information. I love rainy days. How about you? Rainy days are a great day to pick up your Netflix and just watch seven movies in a row. Seven TV shows in a row. What would be my recommendation this week for shows to watch on Netflix? Let me see. Let me see. I got thousands. (laughs) First of all, one secret thing, or at least private thing, that not a lot of people know about me, is that I've always been a gigantic Doctor Who fan. And I do talk to young people about Doctor Who because they want to talk about Doctor Who. Now, one of my things about Doctor Who, and one of the reasons why I don't tell a lot of people I like Doctor Who, is because I'm first-generation American. So I I see a lot of Americans who like manga, like Japanese anime, because it's popular. Because other people do, or because they want to escape from their own lives, or because they like Japanese people. I want to date a Japanese girl, which is completely racist to a certain extent. Um, You see people like that. And they'll do the same thing about Doctor Who, where it's like, I love Doctor Who. Doctor Who's amazing. It's been amazing since the beginning. Yeah, well, it was in the 60s and 70s, and I doubt you'd be saying it was amazing if you saw both series, because, you know, one's kind of old school, old style, and the other one's more, you know, higher. You know, it's it's different between Tim Burton's Batman and Christopher Nolan's Batman, where one's a little more dreamy and the little one's more factoid. Anyways. Doctor Who is an amazing show. We have a new Doctor on right now, which is pretty hilarious, because in season season four he played a character, or season three he played a character inside of that show. What I love about Doctor Who is Doctor Who is all about connections. That's what I love about storytelling. That's what, that's what a lot of people miss when they write, when they, when they create. Is they miss that part of connections. You know, I don't feel sorry for people. And I remember Christopher Roth being on Politically Incorrect. <laughs> That's how old I am, right? And a, there, it was an entire black council. Everybody, everybody was black. Or African American. or everyone. And they're in a circle and they're talking. And uh, Reverend Al Sharpton says, uh, We have kids in America today that are starving to death. And Chris Rock stood up and said, Like, start, like flies in the face starving? And it's very interesting when you get that perspective when somebody, when his attitude and a lot of other sociologies and empathetic teachers would tell you is, you are no person. You have zero right in this universe to feel sorry for anybody. Because nobody is worse off than you because you don't know their plight. You have no idea what's going on. So for you to have that attitude is is a bit elitist. 
So, yeah. Yeah. So back to Doctor Who. So Doctor Who is an excellent show. I, I really love it. And it's, it's about connections. Um, it's interesting that if you look at old-style English literature, let's just say uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and um, you look at Dickens, and you look at you look at uh, Sherlock Holmes. Doctor Who is a combination of these characters. It's, it's very interesting. You can see where Harry Potter got, you know, Doctor Who from. It's very interesting how you see how literature basically blasted these characters out of out of out of, out of the canon. And then Doctor Who sometimes will remind you of Batman, and you have people who say. How does Doctor Who, in any way, shape, or form, connect to Batman? Well, I'll tell you exactly how. Uh, Batman was often uh, criticized for being the creator of the very enemies that are destroying Gotham. Because of his escalation, they... And uh, you'll see the same thing in Doctor Who, whereas the same question is asked. That, are you the warrior? Are you the doctor? Are you the healer? Or are you the creator or the manifestation of all of this chaos? And Doctor Who's job is actually to bring um, straightness to chaos. You know, a streamline through chaos. He's basically Ganesh as, as a doctor. So it's a very interesting series. What is, who are my favorite doctors? Let's talk more about this next week. I want, I want to make next week's show a little more interactive where people can call in and and talk to me about their experiences with Doctor Who. But, uh, you know, it's one of my secret things that I really don't talk about a lot, mostly because it's a very popular thing. Like, Nirvana was very popular in the 90s for people to like, and I'm one of those people that, you know, I just don't want to jump on the bandwagon a lot of times, so I just don't discuss it. But I'm a gigantic Doctor Who fan. So, if you have a chance this weekend, I would say watch the first series. A lot of people pick uh, David Tennant as being the best Doctor, but for me, it's the first one. It's the first Doctor from the, the new series that really kicked, kicked it off hard. Uh, one of the reasons why I loved them so much was because they had a distinct perspective on how to be the Doctor. And here's another connection to Batman. They abhor gun violence. Abhor it. Uh, and I really appreciate that. Because it shows you know, ingenuity. It shows intelligence. It shows compassion, even for your own enemies. It's a very, very, very interesting show. So, Doctor Who. Doctor Who is a show, if I were you, I, I, I get a nice... I get a nice run through this week. Other shows. Other shows are you enjoying right now on Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or things like that. Did you hear last week when I made the announcement that Netflix is now making original content, meaning not only television shows, but also movies? They're going to work on, right now, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, which the script's already made, director's already picked, actors already picked. But they were looking for somebody to create it. Well, Netflix is the, is the one who wanted that to be one of their first original content films. So, that's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Now, I can't, I can't also wait for Netflix to start backing up sci-fi. And then horror, the horror genre. And then you're going to see brand new things come to place. I didn't think, I didn't believe that the transition from film to digital to Netflix would be so sudden. It's, it's really, you know, crazy how fast the world changes sometimes. 
It, it changes without you wanting it to a lot of times. I did not want it to change. I have a gigantic DVD collection. Now it's a moot point. Now I have that DVD collection just for extras. Just for this, just for that. Now, I always make the argument on behalf of Netflix. And I always want to go on their side. I always do this. Because I love media and I want to watch as much as possible. But here's a parallel argument about why Netflix is kind of bad. And we should address this as people and we should contact them and we should let them know why they're going to continue to be a business for at least another 50 years. So we should really talk to these guys and discuss with them a factor, which is extras. We're not getting extras anymore. We're not getting extras on our Netflix movies. We're not getting different translations. We're not getting alternate endings. I saw one which was uh, World War Z that had an alternate ending. Netflix. But here's the thing. World War Z stunk. <laughs> so I don't care about that extra. I know you're, you're probably trying. Try harder, please. Please try harder. <laughs> I really want to see extras. I want to see extras. I want to hear commentary from the directors and the actors. Or else you're forcing me to buy the Blu-ray. And then once I buy the Blu-ray, then watching the movie on Netflix is a moot point. Really, seriously. So we have to change these things. You know, we as a people need to come together and change these things. It'd be great. Well, we have a great show today. We have Nick Reisinger on today. He's a great, awesome, fantastic, dare I say amazing makeup artist. I want to talk to him about his work. I'm not familiar, completely familiar with makeup artistry. I've been interested in it since I was a child, obviously. Who wasn't? I love it to death. I was a fashion designer when I was very young. I love making dresses. But I don't know a lot about make makeup as far as application of creating zombies or creatures or these kind of things. This is, you know, I, I grew up with Rick Baker and all these other great creators and monsters. And even John Carpenter just great creators of Jim Henson, just great creators of characters. So I can't talk to, wait to talk to Nick about his artistry, what he does. And then we have J.D. Rogers. J.D. Rogers made a horse story. I can't wait to talk to him about his, his new movie. Uh, just listening to somebody who's made a new movie, it, it's always fascinating because they're, they're so happy. <laughs> they're so happy to have made a movie. It, isn't it fascinating? It's incredible that when you do something that you love and something comes out the way you like it to and you're so happy, you want that happiness to exist forever. And I want you to remember that whatever, whatever occupation you're in, that that's really what you're striving for in existence because this existence it ends pretty quick. You know, one minute you're alive and the next minute you're pushing up daisies. So I would, I would choose my life wisely. Listen to these people. One of the reasons that why I started the show is to put these people on the show and to have them say things that are very positive to you, things that are different, things that are new, Things that you may have heard, things that you that you may understand, but it's hard to put into practice because you don't hear yourself talk. So let's bring on our, our, our first guest here, the great, the always fantastic, Nick Reisinger. Hi, dear Nick. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Doing good? Very good. Look at that. Everybody loves you. <laughs> in the, in the uh, little break there, we had, we had a little conversation in the back. Now, We've known each other for for quite a while, even though we haven't had a lot of conversations before. You worked on the on the, the Lackey uh, movie that Sean and I created, 
which is which is fantastic. Yeah. First time I ever met you, but I saw a lot of the makeup work you did on that film. That was amazing. Uh, j- just you well, know, you. It, just going back to the Hitchcock days of of how they used to make blood out of uh, out of uh, you know, Hershey's chocolate. Uh, I saw a lot of the ingenuity come out of you in that film, and I really really admired that. Let's go back to the to the beginning because this is not something I'm incredibly familiar with, but it's incredibly important in the movie industry, or in the media industry, excuse me, the media industry. So tell yeah. us, how did you begin with, with, with makeup, and, and where did you go to school when did you, when did you found your passion? Um, all right, I grew up in a small farm town called Freeland, Michigan, and um, kind of knew nothing about makeup existing, and uh, I had like a somebody, a cousin of mine taped Predator 2 and I got a hold of it somehow and was like, right. I, it was the first time I had seen like blood and craziness because I, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up around horror movies and around, yeah, maybe 12 or 13 saw it and was like, oh my God, look, look at that monster. Look what happened. Like, and it, was, it just blew my mind. And right. I kind of said, you know, hey, I'm really interested in this. And, you know, mom um, was always very, both of my parents very supportive. And so they were like, you know, Nick likes crazy things. Let's buy him this book. And they bought me a book called Behind the Mask. And it was, and it had a predator on the cover. And the, um, basically it was a book about, the makeup greats and what they did and, and, and like the projects they worked on and the, the ways that they accomplished them. And it covered like, really, you know, obviously Dick Smith and then Rick Baker and Steve Johnson. Yeah. And it had like, I mean, it just it went on and on about these people. And I was like, I learned about it. And I said, Oh my God, this exists. This is a job. People can do that. <laughs> and, you know, and so that got me into like Halloween stuff because it was the one time of the year that I got to do that, do things like that, and have bloody things. And uh, people right. weren't being, you know, people didn't think that I was specifically weird. Right. And so, yeah, that was the one time of the year I could get away with it. So I did haunted houses, and uh, I I would buy masks and stuff, and I, I got into it a little bit, and then I was like, man, masks just do not move at all. You know, like. I need, um, you know, I, like I need to do makeup. That's what I need to learn. And so I kind of went through right. and, and figured out a couple of tricks here and there with store-bought stuff. And then <clears throat> I was 13, and I did a research paper in high school about special effects makeup and uh, went through research material and found the school that I ended up going to. I went to uh, Complexions International, which is in Toronto, Canada, uh, I grew awesome. up in Michigan, and it was about a five- to six-hour drive from there. Um, now, so what, was, what, part of, what part of Michigan did you grow up in? Because I, I went to the Leelanau and Sutton's Bay. Are you close to there, or are you close to Kalamazoo? No, I'm more in the I – I grew up more in the central part, like uh, Saginaw, ah. uh, Saginaw yeah, Midland yeah. Bay City area. Um, I know exactly where I was you're kind of, Yeah, the heart of the Tri-Cities, Freeland, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of an um, it's kind of an isolated area. It's amazing to me that now let's go back to the book. Your, your parents bought you a book. I want I want people to know this book. Uh, the book your parents bought you to inspire you for makeup. What was that book called again? Behind the mask, and it's got a big, behind the uh, mask. 
behind the mask, and it's got a uh, picture of Predator right on the cover. It's amazing. So, it. so your parents, just, your parents got the got the feeling that that you wanted this is was going to be your future, and got or or got an, an inkling, and then got you this book to inspire you. Yeah. How old were you? They're when they got all, you this book? They're always. Uh, they bought the book for me when I was 12. Wow. I know that. That's young. I had it. I had it in the fall because I went in and we did research papers by middle of the year, freshman year. So, or no, sorry, seventh grade. Um, wow. And so I, so I knew it that way. But um, yeah, so I had it for a while and, you know, read through it and looked at all the pictures and looked, you know, just kind of committed the whole thing to memory. And that's where... I kind of fell in love with the craft. That's awesome. I love to hear families supporting their children when it comes to uh, not dreams, because I I hate that concept when it comes to art that people always call it dreaming, because dreamers dream and doers do. You're not a dreamer. Listen, listen, boys and girls, when you look at Nick's IMDb, this guy does not sit on his laurels and just wait for idle things to happen. This guy works on things. And I've actually... I've actually worked with Nick on, on several projects. He, he worked on a movie that I executive produced, two movies exactly, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Yeah. Hyde and When the Fever Breaks, So and That's also correct. The Lackey. So he worked on all three of the films. You work extremely hard, and that's what I, that's what I really really love to love about you. But enough about that. Let's go back. Let's go back to the college you went to. It was called um, Complex. Yeah, uh, Complexion. Complexions International. Complexion. Um, right. <clears throat> Yeah, it's right in the heart of Toronto, and uh, yeah, spent time there in school, and they they basically took me through like, because I, I knew nothing about makeup at the time, um, other than when I did a school visit and learned something from them. Um, right. But it was you know so I was it was them literally teaching me how to do you know like women's makeup and theater makeup and then film and TV makeup and then cuts and scratches. And then we did like prosthetics and um, creature stuff and big creature stuff. And then animatronics and like wow. a very basic animatronics. I'm no, you know, <laughs> I could make something work. It's still, but I, like, it's still incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you have stuff like that and it was really great. Um, you know, just, Living in Toronto, that was my first out-of-the-house college thing, and it was like in this giant mega city, and I'm just making, you know, horrible things. Well, not horrible, great things. Old people, dead people, <laughs> you know, like. Well, you know how it these, is. It, whenever we look back yeah. at our, whenever we look back at our art, it's always like, oh, did I do that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but you, was, have, uh, you have a lot of. Uh, I was just saying it was, you know, it was just a crazy experience. Well, you know, that's awesome because we were talking a little earlier about Face Off, the, the TV show, which which I really, really, really enjoy. I, I love, I'm a big fan of Project Runway, and, and I don't see Face Off as, as anything extremely different than that show, except it does apply to something that's uh, good. <laughs> You know, I, makeup design and, and, and design for 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 movies is intensely difficult, and I love yeah. I love the show. So tell me, what is your relationship to, to the show, and do you enjoy it? Um, well, you know, to be honest, I have only ever watched part of. Oh no, I think I watched the entire first episode of season one. Right, and I was like, I'm done with this. 
Um, it, it, to <laughs> me, I saw yeah. right off the bat a thousand things wrong with our industry. Right. Because when a network TV show can get involved with some of these things, um, you know, you've got a lot of people making um, a lot of people making decisions, and it really influences somebody's future. And the one thing that really bothered me uh, right off the bat that I couldn't stand was that the kids in the show during the breaks would say, would, they would they would say, okay, five more minutes, guys. And they would all call out like, uh, you know, like oh, in a challenge, oh, we have this much time to do this makeup. Um, and they would, you know, do like, uh, try and do like a whole creature makeup or a whole, you know, horror makeup or something like that. And you'd have certain people of the team calling out how much time they had left in the challenge. And it was like, Number one, that's not how it works. If you're working on something <laughs> like that, your head's down, you're working, you're giving it your all, and you're going to take every second to do that. Um, right. You're not going to take the time to call that out. That is clearly a TV design um, device in which they're, you know, because they don't want the, the host to stand there and do it. They, you know, so they, right. they had to film separately these times and I kind of was like, wow, this seems so fake. I do this for a living, and this doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like uh, what I do for a living. It feels like, well, that's, you know, that's, really that's, incre- that's incredibly important. Yeah, well, that's incredibly important because, you know, as I'm watching the show, and the same thing with MasterChef and all these other shows, you know, what I love about them is that, to me, they're the pinnacle of first world problems. <laughs> and yeah. it makes me feel better about myself. But then when I see when I see somebody get really upset about a souffle, I feel better yeah, about myself. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so when I when I watch this show, I have a hard time understanding what they like and what they don't like because this is this is something brand new to me. Even though I've been doing you know writing and films and working locations for years and years and years since I was a kid, still this has not been my forte. So it's all brand new and very interesting to me. But that's really one of the reasons why I want to talk to you because I think a lot of people have that attitude where they watch the show and they're like, you know, I love this show. I, lo- I like watching certain things. I don't get it sometimes. I don't get what they're yeah. doing. That's why I wanted to talk to you because now you can tell us that's not how it works. How does it work? Oh, it's – well, so, I mean, ultimately, again, I, I'm not a fan of the show. Um, right. I am a fan of the, sh- the people that are on the show. They're really great yes. people. Um, they work in my shop from time to time. I think I've, I've hired three or four. I think three have been in the shop and fourth did some work for us. But, um, and I, I hang out with them in my personal life and the Mm -hmm. show, the contestants of the show live in this house together and they all have an amazing relationship outside of, um, outside of the actual show. They're like, you know, I I call them the face off kids. Like they were a seventies cartoon. But it's like the face-off kids all go into these amazing parties and, and have such a close-knit group that's great. I don't feel right. that the network pushes the kids and helps the kids outside the show or, or even really during the show um, mm. to promote themselves and things like that. So they're great kids, and I don't mean to downplay that or, their, or the hard work that they do. But right. in the show, they have such a short amount of time to do a work to, you know, to do, a, if they're doing an entire creature suit, they're like, okay, you have a week, go. And it's like, I work in network TV, and we have the same thing, but I have 
the ability to hire a crew of people. It's not just right. me competing against other, you know, other people. So right. that's where I thought I kind of was like, oh, it kind of seems like, again, a, a little bit of a fabrication, but it seems unfair for right. the kid. Uh, I understand what you're, I, I but, totally understand what you're saying. I, I remember on the, on the on the shooting of the lackey when Guy Grundy and and uh, and um, um, Ricky Burr Jr. Then when they smashed heads together, you and I ran to both people to make sure that everything was okay. And then you started doing right. the makeup process immediately to to wrap things up. I saw your speed and your efficiency. Is that something that they're that they're working on? Is that something that you as an artist work on as well? Is speed and efficiency when you're working on a movie set? Because it seems to be sort of a a job criteria is that you need to be quick and you need to know what you're doing. Yes. Uh, I guess the the best way to know the skill of a makeup artist, in my opinion, is not that they know something. Everyone can go to school and know something, but it's how you react to adversity in the instant that makes you great. You know, you can go to the set and say, I'm going to make this zombie. It's going to be great. Um, and you get there, and uh, the guy said, oh, I have a latex allergy. You can't use any latex product. What? Wow. Well, wh- what? Uh, but I was going to use, no, I'm sorry, you can't. How? What do you do then? It's kind of, it's, it's that. Um, speed is always important because on indie sets especially, um, you'll right. find that maybe somebody didn't plan out how long it would take to apply makeup um, onto somebody. And so they're kind of, I need that person right now. Well, they they just sat down in my chair. And they still have to go right. get in the wardrobe. And they still have to do this. So speed is, you know, really good. But, you know, I, it doesn't mean that I'm going to start doing speed trials for makeup to see if I can put on right. eyeliner in two minutes. Because that is something that I think we in the culture do. Um, For example, we didn't have fast food, and now we have fast food. Is that good? Right. I don't know. So if I could put on, you know, if I could do an eyeline in 20 seconds, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to be amazing eyelines. So speed is great, but quality is better. Right, right. We, you and I have been tied to the same projects for quite a long time, and I've, I've seen a lot of the growth that you've gone through as an artist. Um, not, not that, not that I'm in any way, shape, or form in the place to be in that position, but I've, I've noticed uh, some great leaps and bounds, especially when you did uh, Naked Zombie Girl. And I want to get to that because I really love the way you made those zombies. And anybody out there who's waiting for Halloween and you want to see a zombie, look at the n- Naked Zombie. Girl makeup. It's in, it's really incredible. It's it's quite frightening. Um, thank you. But I want to go to. I want to go to. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, it wouldn't be a film if you weren't in it. If you were not making <laughs> that makeup, the film would be junk. I mean, that one part when you know Jeremy spits out that blood, and then you know, spoiler alert, the, the you know the the uh, the uh, chopper explodes. That's a really nice scene. I, I remember you making that that makeup and, and making the the blood for his mouth and and uh, him spitting it out. It was an incredible process and very meek too, because you you rarely speak uh, on set. You you really don't talk a lot. You just kind of work, and uh, that's yeah. what I love about a personality like you. So uh, let, let's go let's go to you know because we can go to you know Grace Guys, to Wolf Town, to Touchback, to Jack the Reaper, to the Lackey's 
Scary or Die, Dark Hearts, Delirium, Phase 2, No, no Solicitors, and then we get to Grimm. So you did five episodes as a makeup technician for, for Grimm from 2011 to 2014. Could you please tell us about your experience on that show? Well, um, so there's a co- I work for a company, uh, B2 Effects. I'm the shop coordinator for them. Okay. Uh, Barney Berman owns the company, uh, and he... He works on the show Grimm um, as the makeup designer and uh, basically the creature creator for the show. Um, I'm his right hand, and so he's a lot of times up there applying the makeups. And what I do is I run, I open up the shop and get the people in. And he said, "Okay, we we got to create this," and and so once we get it, we get a creature, and then I bring in the right people, and I and we do the work, and there's um, mold making and, and all of the, the things involved. So of the nine and a half months out of the year that B2 Effects works on Grimm, I am nine and a half months in the shop doing that. <laughs> um, usually, you know, awesome. hoping for, like, dreaming of eight-hour days and usually getting ten. Um, right. And, and then creating that sort of stuff. So that's that's what I do. That's my day job. Um, that's what pays the bills, and I love it. Uh, however, there are instances in, in which the the technical aspect of one of our effects requires my specific handling. So uh, we did a creature in, I want to say, season two of Grimm called Vulcan Alice, and he was... Um, Oh god, that he was um very, very tall guy played him. Um and so he's in this giant suit and he had um L wire lighting. So like this whole intricate light system un- underneath a silicone suit that was also um like a day glow. Oh, brain steel. So it was black brain steel, yeah. And he was um yeah. it was all black light reactive and had this glowing effect going on. And so, uh, and there was battery packs hidden and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was wow. up there every night having to, you know, because he's moving around and acting and, and doing an amazing job. Um, but that would pull wires out or, you know, the suit would press mm-hmm. against it. Because we also, in the show, ha- like Face Off, I guess, have very short schedules to get things done. Um, right. And so there's, there's no time for... Um, research and development. You just kind of have to, this works this way. Let's see who can make it work this way. This is the way that it's worked classically in film, you know, that way, or you make something special, you know, and so you kind of just do it. And it was, it was working great. Um, And then at night and before the next morning, I would go through and test connections and things like that. That is like one aspect. So there's, several different episodes where it was where I was needed, but there's a, a great team up there that actually that does the majority of the um, they do all the applications and they do all the majority of the work that you see. I just do small technical stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, when I say up there, I mean in Portland. They shoot in Portland. Um, yes. yes. And so, that's, so I go up there. But like I said, nine and a half months out of the year, I'm here in North Hollywood, California, making monsters to send up there. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting. Being a writer, I've, 
looking at, at at your skill as well. We're very similar to whereas we're behind the scenes making the project work. We are the wheels that make the project work. Yes. But a lot of people look at the steam engine a lot of times because it's making the big steam. But in actuality, if you didn't make up those cars, there'd be nothing to pull. So it's, it's very interesting right. to see. You know, I, I listen to, to the makeup artists. I listen to fashion designers. They have a very, very cool and meek attitude about their jobs. But in actuality, I mean, look at like any movie that we watch today. And if you didn't have a makeup artist, if you didn't have special effects, it wouldn't be a movie. It wouldn't be Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy. It wouldn't even be the simplest Doctor Who episode. So right. it's an incredible – now, here's something I wanted to ask you. It's something I noticed that was different between – because I used to do fashion. I, I used to design dresses when I was young, and I, and I still love it. I'm a big lover of designing. But I noticed that in fashion design, there was a prickly personality thing going on there. People didn't like each other. They were competitive. Is it the same thing in makeup? Is it the same thing in special effects? I imagine you guys work together a lot. Uh, so I, I, I can't see how that could be a possibility, but obviously anything could be a possibility. What is your feeling on that? Um, you know, I think there is. You, the hard work that any creative person goes through to work on a film um, is always an uphill battle because you've got, you. Re, there's so many people, you know, uh, whether it be, a concept artist or a makeup artist or the, the fashion designer, the, you know, the clothes designer, wardrobe, any of those people, you might say, I think he, should, he needs to be in a blue blazer and this. Well, well, the producer says it should be in Armani, such and such, because he really wants to show off how classy the guy is. Well, I don't think he would be classy. I think in this instance he'd be more humble and he would wear this. So for that, you've got these people that are, you've got a little bit of clashing to, to work on something and um, and you work really hard on a project and sometimes a, a director or um, even a producer or somebody can come in and, and want to change something and, and say, well, I, I know that you've spent your all your time painting that alien green, but now he's going to be blue right now. Do it. <laughs> and so because of that, I think that some people um, – if you can't stay positive, positive and have a good outlook and and find, I guess, the ironies in the business um, that right. that make it a little bit funny. If you can laugh it off and you can enjoy yourself um, and still right. love what you do, then you can stay away from this. But there's like a, a kind of a bitterness and, and, you know, you get a little jaded um, over the years of having to fight, you know, having to fight a certain person or having to do something. I, for years, uh, I think the first three years of what I did could not stand stunt coordinators. <laughs> uh, stunt guys <laughs> were great. Love stunt guys. Stunt yeah. coordinators, I was like, whatever. You guys need to just take a seat because stunt right. coordinators and makeup guys, are so they work so close together because usually you're putting on a, a makeup on a stunt guy, and then um, he does a stunt. And so you've got a stunt coordinator saying, forget the makeup. Don't worry about what you're doing. Forget that you're in a werewolf suit. Forget that you're this. Forget that you're, you know, in an alien suit, okay? You need to focus on right now you're going to fall backwards. I'm not saying one person's job is more important than the other, but 
I would say, no, don't forget that makeup. That's a, you know, $10,000 makeup. Don't, you know, you need to be careful with it and, and, and don't, you know, don't shred it on the way down or something. I, I don't know. Right. And so, is that so a you mis- get a lot of this is that a misunderstanding? Yeah. Is that a misunderstanding on their part or is it, is it just an outright, you know, my job's more important? It, it might be the second thing. I, <laughs> it's, um, I'm not sure. However, right. it, like in the, the better quality of a project I work on, the better quality of a stunt coordinator I meet, and all of a sudden, uh, like I don't have that opinion now at all. I feel like mm-hmm. my opinion of that has completely changed. Um, right. Because some people now, talk, you know, I can talk to them and they listen to me and it's like, oh, okay, there's, right. so, you know, it, maybe it's an experience level or maybe it's whatever, I'm not sure, but there would be always this kind of clashing. And so that just kind of, that, if you can, you can lose your uh, positive outlook that way of always having right. to fight with a certain type of people or, and you think, and then you, you get that mindset. You think, oh, this person is that. But it's so refreshing to work on a film where you go in and you don't know anybody and you meet all these really great people. And all of a sudden you're going, hey, look at this. Look at the guy in this crew. Look, hey, look at that guy with the camera there. He's doing pretty good or whatever, you know. And it, it kind of, it's it's nice. That in well, I, I look at uh, that in itself, making friends in the film industry, um, it, I think, is what can help change you from the bitterness and the jaded um, mm. from that. You know, I was going to ask you about that, yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot, you know I, I remember when I would look work locations for many 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 years. Um, it, it's not a jaded thing I think I was going through, but it was certainly a you know I'm watching the sausage being made right now, and it's very difficult to watch a movie and enjoy it. Um, when you're when you're doing artistry with makeup and what have you, obviously the the media industry is changing right now in the direction of CG and and in this direction and yada yada yada. So everything's changing right now. Are you finding that your your field is changing with it as well? Because I know a lot of directors are having to change themselves. Writers writers now have to have to change their their process of writing TV shows. Whereas they used to write a pilot and maybe two other episodes. Now they have to write thirteen episodes to prove. You as you as an artist, how how has your career changed? Maybe in the past ten years, and where do you see it in the next ten years? Um, you know, it, it really has changed a lot, and you know, it's gone a, a total different way. Um, Phil Tippett, who was in charge of the stop motion dinosaurs on Jurassic Park, saw what they did with the CG dinosaurs, and uh, announced. God, we're out. We're extinct, guys. We're out of business. Special effects, we're we're done. And it actually ch- uh, changed a lot of his um, shop over to becoming a special effects, like a CG effect, because of um, because of that. And so I was, I mean, I was around to see that he did that, and I kind of see like, okay, so I, you know, I've already spent too much time to. Working, you know, I spent too much time working to be a makeup artist to kind of just you know to change it over to this you know this whole computer world. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just being stubborn. I don't know. Um, no, I know what you're saying. But but there's 
a versatility to our jobs that I think makeup artists haven't haven't really realized before. It's like um, it's like they, everybody needs to just level up one and realize they don't have to work on a movie. You know, like oh right. really? There's a, there's an incredible company called um, Immortal Masks that um, I, I love their silicone masks. So check them out. Um, but they Immortal Masks. Immortal Masks. Um, they have some really great masks that I've seen, and the guys were makeup effects guys who kind of, you know, there were some mask makers among them and whatever. And when business panned out a little bit in the effects world, you know, I mean, it's hard to get work, you know, with guys like Rick Baker and, and you know, Barney Berman and <laughs> running around town with Oscars and, and, and all this credit <laughs> behind them. So it's it's really hard to right. get the same, you know, level budget pro, uh, productions as them to to make yourself known, you know, like to get my name out there, to make me work, you know, to make me known or um, whatever I can do. So you've got all this to deal with. And um, where are we going with that? Um, and so, <laughs> you sound like me now. Yeah, I went off on a tangent, sorry. Um, and so, you know, you, so you fight for what you can get, and right. then you work on it to, to the best of your ability. Right, right. Let me ask you a question. You know, let's just say I'm a young man from Michigan, and I'm from Leelanau. I'm watching what you're doing. I'm watching all these projects coming up. I'm following your career. I'm following other people's careers, too. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this small town? How am I going to do this makeup thing? Kids are making fun of me. Kids are calling. Kids are calling me names because I'm, I'm working on something they don't understand. Obviously, I, the same thing happened to me when I when I worked on fashion design, which is why I never, I never mentioned to people that I, that I make dresses. Uh, but what do you tell a kid like that who wants to become a Rick Baker, a you, and wants to come out to L.A. or New York or anywhere where the media is being made, and they want to make something that you're doing, especially since the media has changed. What advice yeah. would you give to that person looking back? Yeah. Um, well, I guess on my point that I just lost, uh, stay versatile so that you, you're not just working on movies, but you're, you work in the mask companies, you work in the Halloween industries. Don't, <clears throat> don't snub your nose at a job if it involves what you love. If it's, right. if it's makeup and you're going to get to do makeup, but it's for a play, that's fine. If you're working in Saginaw, Michigan at a at a community theater doing makeup <clears throat> because you can't be in Hollywood doing a movie, that's fine. You'll get there, right. you know. You're just going to stay positive, stay focused, and know where you're going. <clears throat> and just keep, There's just so keep many, on working, huh? Yeah. I mean, kind of nose the grindstone and, and do what you love. You know, there's a, I see a lot of people that, that want to do... I want to do effects. I want to do this. Okay. Why aren't you? Well, because it's, right. it's not easy to just get hired on a movie. I, You don't have to be on a movie. You can make up your friends or your neighbors. This is a family activity you can do. Um, when I, you know, I did some college projects that were uh, video projects, so it was like, okay, make uh, music videos. And I, you know, did something to Nine Inch Nails music, and it was like, my, I think I remember my mom being a little upset because 
there was video footage <laughs> of my uh, probably eight or nine year old sister at the time, uh, like just covered in blood, and, like tied up in the basement. And I was like, "No, mom, it's for a music video. Don't worry." What? Oh no, 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 it's, you know, it's, and <laughs> and it's something that she kind of. Was, you know, and the sister's playing, like, yeah, that's fine, I'm Rome, okay. You were playing Rome Polanski's house is what you're doing. No, well. Uh, <laughs> you're seeing that. Go ahead. But, uh, so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of that. It doesn't have to be, you know, you it, you don't have to go straight to the top or think well, that you're going to you, you, you can't skip that story. You got to go back and tell me the rest of that story. You can't tell me you dipped your your sister in blood and not finish that story. What 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 happened oh, after that? You're... Oh, we cleaned her off. I don't know. <laughs> Did your mom freak out? I, uh, a little bit. I I mean, she didn't tell me to switch careers, which would have been an important <laughs> step at that point. Um, and they've been supporting you this entire time. I mean, yeah. it's, I can't I can't imagine a parent walking in and seeing their kid. I guess they were just so happy that it was fake that it, they sure. just went. I mean, yeah, yeah. The camera usually yeah. gives it away, but uh, not always. So I can understand a little bit. But well, you know, you you, you obviously had passion, which is why they followed you down. I mean, if you don't have passion, yeah. I I doubt your parents would have bought you that book. So you you obviously had passion when you were young about your subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's um, and you, how do you, yeah. No, what? You, you know, the the freakouts were minor in the beginning because and now I don't even hear about it. Right. Uh, when I look I at have, the, uh, things like, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I have a um, <clears throat> kind of a, a hobby of mine is to uh, take life casts of my friends and family um, when I have the availability to do so. And I mm. then turn them into um, a zombie normally. And then um, yes. decapitate them so that when you enter my apartment, the the front the front hallway is decapitated zombies trophies mind you of uh zombies that i would it's, theor- it's like a you know, theoretical art piece of zombies that you may have to kill um and so it was something that i did and i made one of my dad i think my dad was one of the first ones well, i think he was number four actually um and so i went home for uh young sister's graduation and right. I, I brought home this box, and I was like, hey, Mom, open this box up. And she opened it up, and there's my dad's decapitated head with his tongue hanging oh. out of his mouth. And oh. it was funny because, like, I feel like, you know, uh, God, I feel like 12 years ago I would have been in trouble for this. But she was so delighted <laughs> and so happy and was like, really? this is this is great. Oh, my God. And took it out and showed everybody. And she was so proud of it. And it was like, wow. Um, I, I expected maybe a little startle. And then dad was going to take it. And that, you know, dad thought it was cool. But, you know, no, very yeah. impressed. It reminds me of a lot of, uh, a lot of seven, where he, he opens up the box and he's going to Poucher's head. That's that's a uh, right. That's quite extraordinary. So, so tell me, what would be a dream job for you? Would a dream job for you be like Doctor Who or BSG or or, or Star Trek? <laughs> what what's a what would be a dream? What is a I shouldn't say dream. What is a focus of yours? Did you what what are you focusing towards as as an artist? Um. 
there's a movie called Ten Things to Do in Denver when you're when you gonna did? die. When you're dead, yeah. Yep. Uh, in in if you watch to the end of that movie, Andy Garcia gives you some really great life advice that I listened to. Yep. And he said, make a plan early on of things that you want to do. Put right. it out there in the universe that I want to do this. Well, right. I don't. I think back then when I made that plan, I didn't make it big enough because I've already crossed off a lot of those things. I, right. One of them was uh, like, oh, I really want to work on a zombie film, and mm-hmm. you know, like a, a a real zombie film. I want to be in charge. I want to do all the zombies. I want to have the control of it. I want it to to look like my work and people to say, hey, that's Nick Bryson and zombies. Um. And so that was kind of like, that was like a topping life goal when I was, you know, 23 or something, you know, it kind of, I just thought like, yeah, I'll never get to do that. And then last summer on Naked Zombie Girl, uh, I did exactly that for, it was a 28 minute short. Um, And we did a lot of zombies that, that maybe didn't hit the screen or didn't get, you know, a lot of screen time or whatever. Um, But I hit that goal and it was like, wow. Well, that's a short movie. I guess I want to do a, a feature film. And then Naked Zombie Girl got picked up for a feature film. So I'm, I'm about to do that. So nice. Uh, hoping, you know, I would like to continue to live after all of these life-topping goals. But now I need to make more of them for this list because <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I did all, I'm doing the things that I've always wanted to do. So for me, um, I guess when you, like if you say dream job or or focuses and things like that, it would be amazing to work on an hour long cable TV show, um, or or feature film, like a, a long, you know, a long zombie movie where there's lots of creatures. You're you, you get a couple of months of just making creatures before anything even hits the you know hits the screen or hits the camera. Um, and so that way, you know, you've got all these monsters, you did these tests, you showed people what they look like, the directors and producers love them, things like that. That would right. be what, I, what I'd like to do. Um, but it's so hard to, like, that's a very generic aim. I could say that with monsters, I could say that with old people or old age makeup sure. or likenesses or, I mean, there's so many aspects of that. Um, so well, when, when my you focus... Saw, when you saw it, the... Uh... When you saw the labyrinth being uh, pushed as being a, you know, a new sequel coming out, did that make you excited? Did that, ma- did sorry, that the, seem like something that you were in? The labyrinth? Oh, oh The yeah. old uh, David Bowie movie? Jim Henson right, right. Yeah, Yeah, they, oh, they just announced the sequel. Right. Is, is that something that interests you? Very much so. Um, okay. But in the way that, like, I mean... So they've announced this, and I haven't read the exact story about it, um, but there are Labyrinth continuation mangas going on. Um, right. Uh, there's there's other stories and artwork to that. Um, the artwork for the Labyrinth was done by Toby Froud. No, Brian Froud. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, who did a lot of that stuff and, and created the goblins and things. He did a lot of Jim Henson's creature concept work. And has some really great books. He's great. Brian Froud, you guys should all check him out. He's amazing. He's um, fantastic. Boys and girls, Jim Jim Henson is the 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 for me he is the Mega Man. 
Yeah. I, I, I know, I have a friend who works with Jim Henson's studio. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead. No, I was saying, I'm agreeing with you. He's, he's amazing. He is amazing. Has, when he, when he's he the died, reason I'm here. It very much, really? He's oh, one yeah. of the reasons I, why I'm here, actually. Nice. Yeah, Jim, Jim Henson inspired me as an artist as well. I mean, this guy, you know what's interesting about the Black Crystal is, you know, one of his, one of his, Biggest failures was the Dark Crystal, and one of his saddest moments was walking in and showing the executives and the producers the movie, and ninety percent of them walked out of the film, a private yeah. screen of Jim Henson's film, and it goes to show his genius. Because when you look at the Dark Crystal, it's a piece of genius. It's incredible, yeah. and I've been waiting for somebody to take over his mantle, and then Rick Baker died, and and I know Rick Baker's not really in that area, anyways. No. But no, Dick Smith died. A lot Rick of Baker is very much alive. Oh, right, 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 right. Excuse me. I'm thinking about somebody else. Um, I'm thinking about the creator of The Terminator and, and, uh, and also uh, Predator. Stan, which, Stan Winston. Um, that's it. Thank you. Stan Winston has been so long. He's yeah. great. So are these uh, – if you were looking at Jim Henson and Stan Winston, which, which, is, which is the avenue that you want to go towards? Oh, God, that's so hard. Um. I, like I, I think I'm on the Stan Winston path, but I, mm. in a heartbeat, would jump to the um, to the Jim Henson path. Um, I think mm. SAG puppeteer would be the only thing holding me back. Um, I, I've talked to people about you know getting into that shop. Oh, I know somebody at that shop. Maybe I'll say something to you, and I, I, I guess I need to follow up on that more because I'm always maybe I'm just too nervous that I'll you know. <laughs> that I that I'd get in there and it wouldn't be as magical as I thought. Um, but no, it, it, it'll be magical. Yeah, <laughs> because it's um, uh, like it's, that's huge for me. Like my, uh, I guess Muppet collection, but Muppet show more than Muppet movies. Um, and right. like the Labyrinth and Dark Crystal are like amazing. You know, very uh, influential to me. My my mom and dad back in the early 80s were actually puppeteers and we would travel around Michigan doing puppet shows and things. And so that impacted me ah, uh, huge as a kid. So yeah, creature yeah. creating and puppets and stuff like that. Um, I mean, the, and there's things that I have in the works. There's, I mean, I have a, a billion projects in the works that are, a lot of them are theoretical and some of them are just waiting for funding in which I'm constantly trying to bring in aspects of that. There's a a project that uh, Sean Piccinino is working on, and it seems like if he's working on something and it involves makeup or creatures, he'll just bring me in on it. That's at least been my right. <laughs> my year so far, and uh, yes. I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, and he's he's come to me and said like, hey, there's you know there's this project and it, it would involve this type of a thing, and how how would you go about it? And instantly, I kind of gave him an idea of how we could do this. But the idea is one part Stan Winston, one part, it's like, you know, that aspect of it, and one part Jim Henson. So there would be some puppeteering involved. There would be, you know, some some movie trickery and camera effects. And uh, sometimes this will be one actor, and sometimes this will be two actors. And it kind of... Right. told him that idea so as he pitches the movie to other companies and things, he can pitch that aspect as well. So I can't, I don't know that I could ever pick one way, you know, because even <laughs> if I say I want to, I'm, I'm on the Stan Winston path, 
I'm on the, you know, Dick Smith, Stan Winston, uh, Steve Johnson, right, right. Um, you know, Barney Berman, uh, Greg Nicotero path. I, I, I take and learn as much as I can from anybody who's willing to say it. Uh, right. You know, like, uh, I, I've been asked to do, to teach at, like, uh, smaller makeup schools before. People who started up their own makeup company or their own uh, makeup schools and things like that and said, like, oh, why don't you come teach effects? And it's like, how could I ever teach you when I'll never stop being a student? <laughs> right. I, right. I'm going to learn as many things as I can. And, right. you know, every, and every day uh, there's something new. I completely agree with you. You know, one of the things that Sean and I talked about early on when we became partners in, in our in our film industry, in our film feature, we became partners over 10 years ago. And one of the things that we said early on, which is we only want to work with people who are good, kind, ethical, and moral. Anybody, anybody else, we might work with them, and that's fine, but it's not going to be a longevity thing. It's not, it's not going to be like Sean, he's hiring me. I know, right? It's, it's like, not my fault. He keeps bringing me back in. Shit all over his face. <laughs> no, you know, every, listen, every time I see you, you always have the exact attitude I would expect from somebody as skilled as you. Just get to your job, be as friendly as you can without being, you know, overtly, you know, obvious. Uh, keep, let your craft speak its words and, and keep on working on more projects that we're working on and, and, and let's be a family. That's the one thing that I noticed about you, and one thing I, I like about Sean Pacino as well, and, and the group that we have, which is, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that concept, and I, treat, I keep on trying to say this, that when you look at, like, Mark Webb and, and all these other great directors and what have you, they get $150 million a movie. You know, you can ask yourself the question, are these good people? And you can ask, also ask the question, does it really matter? I, I don't know. If you're working on Nick on a movie on five movies in a row, would it matter if he's a jerk or not? Yes, it, it would matter a great deal. Yeah. You wouldn't want to work with this human being anymore. I worked with you for four times, and, and this is the most we've ever talked in those, <laughs> in those, four, movies, in those four movies. But but see, that's the kind of consummate worker that you are. You just I see you, you work. You're constantly working on people, even when they're ignoring you. You're putting makeup on them. You're, you're doing their wounds, and, and they always show a certain amount of appreciation. At least I hope they show a certain amount of appreciation because your, your oh, craft yeah, is incredible. Yeah, your craft's incredible. So, uh, speaking about that, how can we find you? I'd love talking to you. I would love to talk to you all day long. I, this is a very fa- fascinating subject to me. I, I, I barely know anything about it, but how can we find you? How can we find you on Facebook, on IMDb? I mean, we're going to have links on our, on our page, and, and a lot of people are calling in right now. How can we find you if we want to find you today? Go through the list. Um, okay. There's Nick Reisinger on Facebook. Um and you can find me on the websites for any of the companies that I work for, like uh, B2Effects, which is B2Effects.com, B, B as in boy, and the number two, FX. Um, and they are, that's the company I work for. I'm on their website. You can find me there. I have an email address to do that. Um, and if you have a lot of money, hire that company. Um, if you <laughs> Nice. You can find me with Hectic Films. Um, Naked Zombie Girl is playing at the Chinese Theater uh, this Thursday, the 16th at 9.30 p.m. Um, and 
come see that. Support Hectic Film. Um, I Wait, think it's on. like 11 bucks. Naked Zombie like Girl is going to be playing at the, Ch- the Demand Chinese Theater in Hollywood this Thursday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a huge deal. That, that's like the lackey playing at the Quentin Tarantino Theater. Everybody go to that screening. Support Hectic Films. They supported yeah. us when we didn't have anything. So, go. I mean, we had we had Mike on. We were going to have Rick, Rick, Ricky Bird on soon. Guys, go watch it this Thursday. And go support he these guys. Yeah, you want Nick. You you want Nick to work on your films. You, I've met a lot of people. They're, they're kind of jerky. You have a guaranteed awesome artist right now, and you're listening to him talk, which is kind of like an interview, uh, or, or excuse me, like a resume interview. So it, I find that's incredible. That's an incredible thing. It's playing at the Chinese Theater. I'm I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm so happy yeah, we're for pretty you. Stoked. Tell me more, please. It's, uh, it's- it's playing um, at the film festival Screen Fest, which was actually uh, partially created by Stan Winston. Go to the Screen Fest website right. for tickets and information for that. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff playing, but I'm going to only promote my thing, so go there and watch my thing. Um, there's the judging panel for that is the, like the best of the best in names of horror. Uh, Toby Hooper, Clive Barker, John Carpenter, um, uh, just to name a few, uh, Gary Tuninclis, a great special effects artist. Um, just a, Clive Barker's going to be there, and John Carpenter's going to be there. Now I don't know that they're going to be there. I don't know that. I know that they're part of the judging okay. panel. So uh, Eli oh Roth is also uh, like, and again, uh, they, uh, if they're there, I will probably have to bring a second pair of pants. Um, but hey, listen, guys, if if Clive Barker's there, talk to him about the Thief of Always. That that is my favorite book of his. He is amazing. Nice. That's that's fantastic. Um, so you're having all the happening right now. Yeah, nice. so that's that's Screen Fest, and that's happening. So go see that. Support Hectic Films. Support everything they do because I will be working on all of their projects probably. Um, whether or not I have, <laughs> whether or not I, <laughs> I want to. Um, yes. Other than that, let's see. We did B2 Effects. We did them. There's a haunted mm-hmm. house in Bakersfield that. I used to do the special effects for. Now I actually just, uh, that's where I do my Halloween masks. So I, I make my own masks and make stuff for them. They're called Scream in the Dark. Scream in the Dark, Bakersfield. Um, Scream in the Dark. I think that's screamindhedarkhaunt.com, maybe. Find them on Facebook. Uh, there's an effects company out of the Bay Area called Sass Effects. S-A-S-S-E-F-X. Um, and they make, uh, well, they, they sell, like, zombie props and corpses and things like that. And then they also have a new line of shootable zombie targets. So we actually, uh, <laughs> the, the the shop coordinator from there hires me, and we we usually collaborate on a project and make, um, uh, the current thing they have now is a, it's like a three-foot bust of a zombie, life-size, in a, um, in amazing detail. There's some zombie targets out there that you'll find these look better and they're worth the money. Um, you can actually, the other ones break down really fast and they're no good. This one, you can shoot it 300 times and it'll still look like something that would be cool to show somebody in a movie. Um, so, fast effects, shootable zombie targets, check them out. Um, nice. Did I get them all? Well, you know, There's a lot of things. I, have, I, have, I have one more question before we take off. Uh, yeah. what, what are you going to wear for, for Halloween this year? I have no clue. I haven't even begun to think about it. Uh, I figure I have some time. I just, I got, I, it is 
whether or not I'm going to be doing something. If I'm if I'm not doing anything and I go out, then I'll do something. If I uh, if I'm working, then I'll probably do nothing. Um, right. Yeah, it, it, I imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine Halloween is as popular to sexy young females as it is to makeup artists, because <laughs> it gives you an excuse right. to just do anything you want. Yeah. Well, Nick, it was great. It was great having you on the show, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about the makeup world and the special effects world. It's it's something that our listeners are incredibly interested in, and something that I don't really know a lot about. So it's very fun being educated in something you don't know a lot about. So I really appreciate you being on the show, and I also very much appreciate you being such a kind person and working on the films that we worked on, especially supporting us when uh, a lot of times we can't pay or or we, we can only give you credit. You've always been incredibly kind and incredibly good at your craft. You're a very good person at your craft, and that's the reason why I wanted you on the show. So thank you for joining me today, and, and, and God bless, and I You're hope welcome. you have a great weekend. You Thanks, sir. All right. That's Nick Reisinger. Thank you very much, sir, for being on the show. Uh, you can find everything, everything, uh, you know, based on him on our on our webpage as well as his web pages as well. Uh, Nick Reisinger, a great guy. He's worked on on three films that I, that I've executive produced, and I just love the guy. Uh, makeup is a very difficult concept to work on, and uh, one of the things I de- definitely wanted to talk to him about was, uh, you know, some of the. Uh, prejudices that come with that. But I wanted to keep the show positive, and it was going in a different direction for a couple seconds there. But uh, listen, guys, if you listen to him, you'll notice that he's kind, he's generous, he's giving you detailed information of how he made it without any negativity, without blaming other people. Because that's what's important. If if you listen to these people who who are very successful at what they do, they don't blame other people for problems that they're having in their lives or for, 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 for drawbacks or for... If anything, he... He thanked his parents for helping him throughout his existence, and it reminds me a lot. And I, please excuse me for using this as 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 a as an example, but you know it does remind me a lot of when people have to tell parents certain things that um, they might be against or they might have prejudices against, and you don't know how they're going to respond. And when they respond kindly and and they support you, that's a, that's a brilliant piece of life right there. So. I was very uh, I was very happy with that interview. It was very great. Thank you, Nick, for being on the show today. Next person we're going to have on is uh, is uh, is JJ Rogers talking about a horse story. So if you didn't like reggae before, I'm pretty sure you like reggae now. We're going to take a small little break, 20 seconds, and we're going to bring JJ next. How could you not like reggae? How could you not like reggae? Okay, I can see how you cannot like reggae. No, I can't. I'm lying. <laughs> we have the great John Rogers on right now from a horse story. We want to talk to him right now. Let's bring him on. 
<laughs> good morning, Steve. How you doing? KJ, how you doing, sir? Hey. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good this morning. Good to have uh, you on, sir. So, th- th- thanks for the invite. I, I was excited when my uh, when my uh, publicist uh, told me that I was going to get on your show this morning. It was it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, I, I've heard about your show. I've actually watched your uh, a couple of your uh, uh, films in the making. There, you know, uh, saw some of the people. We're actually looking at some of the people that oh. that you've worked with in the past uh, to be in some of our films. So, uh, very excited to get a chance to talk to you. Oh, me too as well. Your your resume is, is quite impressive and gigantic. And uh, when I was originally looking at a horse, I, first of all, I love horses. So I, I love the fact that you, you, you made this. So so please tell us from the beginning, like I told you before, how how did this whole begin? I mean, obviously, you're, 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 were you born in Nevada? You were born in, in yeah, Vegas? I'm- Oh. I, no, I, I was born in Reno. In fact, I, I think my mom and dad are even listening to the show right now. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Really? Uh, born born in Reno as a somewhat wow. of a you know a backcountry boy. My my mom and dad used to take me hunting when I was young. In fact, one of my mom's stories I'll, I'll tell it for her right now is that I used to ask her to carry my shotgun when I was running around the hills in Reno, Nevada. <laughs> you know, out there in Nevada. Wow. And. Uh, uh, it, my, uh, you know, I, I had a great upbringing, you know, I was one of those kids that we could walk five miles to the mall and not have to worry about being abducted. And, uh, you know, we could ride our bikes across town. Reno was small, uh, and not have any problems. And I kind of, kind of, kind of miss that. You know, it's not definitely not down here in Los Angeles. There's all kinds of problems down here in Los Angeles. There's probably not like that in Reno anymore either, but, uh, I really did, you know, have one of the best, Life's being brought up inside a good family. It was it was really good. I really loved my parents for that. They they uh, they did well with me. I think. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, it seems to me that you know we you and I are very close to this to the same uh, genre and age. I I see that you've chosen a lot of projects that kind of go into that arena of of what we loved when we were young. Um, tell me, was there something that you you watched, or a series, or a show, or any influence that you saw when you were young that inspired you to become this this person, this this producer, this actor, this this director, this writer? Is there is there anything out there that, when you were young, made you feel like you can do this? Well, it, it was more so a combination of events that happened in my life. Uh, one of them was, you know, my grandfather used to take me and my little sister to the movies and we'd like, I remember watching Star Wars like seven times or something like that in the movie theater. That was huge. Wow. Uh, I really, right. really loved, you know, going to the to the films uh, with my grandfather. He, he loved to take us like as, as many times as he could. And uh, I think that started out the, 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 I guess, the quest for knowing what to do. At the age of like 16, my dad brought me my first fully automatic or fully manual uh, 35 millimeter camera. And uh, I was in photography class and I had to learn how to take pictures. And my, my dad would take me out and teach me, you know, a, a lot about what an exposure was. And um, at that point in time, it just, my love for photography grew and grew and grew and grew and eventually became cinematography. And then from that uh, right. At the age of 21, I, I, I put out my first television series. I was 21 years old in Reno, Nevada. It was a small little sports television show. And I, I look back at that and 
there was a point in time in my career where I was like, man, this, this just doesn't look right. So uh, I figured out that it was the lighting. I, was, I wasn't lighting, I wasn't lighting correctly. So then I, right. I started to buy, buy lights for my shows, and it just expanded and expanded and expanded. And soon I was getting hired by HBO, and, and I got hired by an advertising agency to you know handle their television needs. And, and uh, it was a satellite agency for one of Adweek's top 100 agencies called Trahan, Burden, and Charles. And it just just really exploded. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I, it's really the only thing I've ever known. I went in college. I went backwards in classes. I started I started in the advanced classes, and I went backwards to the beginning classes because I was already a professional working in the industry. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting. When, when you when you get experience and when you get an education, and you kind of go back to college to get something done, and then you're already too far along. Uh, I remember right, doing that sure. as a photographer. I went back and, and I asked the photography teacher, is there anything you can teach me? And I did the same thing. I, I did photography into cinematography. So you figured out young, it seems, that a, a film is nothing but 35 millimeter shots just run in a row, essentially. Correct. So if you know photography, yeah, so, you'll know cinematography. Right. So, so, so five phenomena. You know, I mean, you're, you're... Really? So you're, you're one of those, you know... You know, masters of of the craft, and you have so many credits going in so many directions, from writer to producer to director to cinematographer, which is exactly the field that I just love. I love a person who could just encompass the entire gig. But what was the the initial spark that put you in the direction? Was it was it a particular subject matter, meaning writing, editing, producing, acting, directing? Was there anything that was pushing you? in that direction or was it just film or media that you were interested in? Yeah, I, I believe that it was just the overall concept of the big picture, the, the, the process of completion. Uh, it, it, it's a long mm-hmm. process to finish a film. And I think that the components right. uh, of finishing a film is what drove me. It's, what, it's, it's almost like a, a, a huge jigsaw puzzle that, you get one box and, and of these pieces and you start putting them together and you think you're almost done. And then somebody says, well, here's the rest of it. Uh, and that's the way you got to kind of take a look at it. You know, there's, there's the process of pre-production, the, the second process of production, and then the third process of post-production. Well, <laughs> there's also right. distribution, which is also a huge, huge portion of, uh, of that at the same time. So in, in effect, these three processes that they teach in school uh, ending with with distribution, there are so many components and it's the mechanics of everything being in place at one time to make a major motion picture. It's a it's a lot to go through, and I just found myself just diving into it, absorbing it all. It's something it's just something that I wanted to do, something I loved. Um, as far as that component that actually got me to that point, I'd have to say it's it's actually just storytelling itself. Uh, the art of sport, the art of storytelling, uh, the art of writing. Uh, I went through school when I was younger, and I had teachers that thought I was practically seemed like illiterate. <laughs> I, I, I was almost like in almost like in these special reading classes where you know first through sixth grade, uh, they were trying to tell me that you know I wasn't a fast reader, my comprehension wasn't uh, wasn't up to par as the other classes. 
well, well, I showed you, right? No, <laughs> just <Right. laughs> yeah, exactly. I showed you. Now, now I'm a published writer. I'm a you know published movie uh, writer and a, a published director and everything like that. But no, it has nothing to do with that. It ha- it has to do with the fact that going through the story process. My, my, I think my grandfather. Uh, had a big thing to do with when he was younger mm. uh, we just loved to go through story time you know he'd come in and tell us about uh tell us about uh this little goose that he used to follow around that he used to say talk to him so that 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 i think became one of the premises for the movie a horse story uh which mm. uh which involved my sister's uh my little sister's life really well, now, now, now yeah. we're on a horse story. Let's stay here for a couple of seconds because I, I want to talk about this. I'm, I'm a gigantic horse fan. I mean, I, I'm a writer and I, I've written several, I have a whole series of books on horses. It's very, very different than, than what you're doing here. But I was very happy uh, to see, I love these stories so much. I see you have the the great Danny Trejo playing playing the voice as well. Um, oh, please yeah. tell me about this yeah. movie. This This movie looks so interesting to me. Well, it's uh, basically it's a G-rated family film. Uh, it started with the thought of me making a film with the resources that I had available where uh, where I was at at the point in time. I always try to write for the resources that I have uh, on on smaller films. And at that point in time, I had a good friend in in Arizona uh, who had pretty much a, a big horse ranch, and uh, so I I completed the film for that. Uh, the the story is about a little girl uh, who loves horses, who lives on a horse ranch, and every year or every first birthday, a horse is granted uh, a tradition, a horse tradition wish, and that horse tradition uh, is that they can, the horse itself can choose what it really wants to be in life, just like a human can. So I wrote this story with my little sister in mind because my little sister used to love horses. So much. It was amazing. Uh, every day that my sister would be out trying to train her horse, and my mother and father had gotten my little sister this old paint. I actually loved the horse, too. I have some, some good stories with the horse myself. And uh, so nice. I, took, I took that, you know, that love, that, that, that quest for putting out a good family film, and I said, this is, you know, I think this is probably one of the best things in the world that would actually touch a lot of families. And it came from the inspiration of, of, of my family itself. So that, that's, how, that's how that story evolved. <laughs> well, we and have... Then, uh, we, go ahead. Uh, oh, well, uh, I was going to mention your star. You have Sarah Leaving in the show. You have, you have Bernie Koppel. You have Danny Trejo. You have Kix Brooks, Jackie R. Jacobson, Sarah Jane Dalby, which is great. Uh, you've had a lot of right? great characters. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a, uh, and it, 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 it's amazing when you're on set how well it actually comes together. Uh, Kicks, mm. obviously a country country music legend and, and now uh, host of the yeah. uh, country music uh, countdown every weekend, uh, was friends with one of the lead actors, Joe Bell, and and oh. we called up Kicks and said, "Hey, we're doing this family film. Would you like to be involved?" And he said, "Heck yes, anything for the little guy." And, and same thing with Danny awesome. Trejo. Yeah, Danny Trejo is the same way. Uh, I've worked with Danny several times. Uh, anytime I call up Danny and say, hey, Danny, you know, I got a film, he, he, 99% of the time says yes. 
you know, <laughs> well, that means that right. every time I've ever called him, he said yes to me, which is, which is great. And uh, Danny's another guy that whenever I'm around him, he does things for the little guys. He, he you know, there's such a support and such a need for good content. And, and I do, you know, come from a lot of action and thriller and horror background. But when I write my own movies, I, I try to light, write them, a, you know, some of them lighthearted. And this is one that, that everybody just said, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be great. Uh, the concept is unique. Uh, let's go for it, you know? Um, and, and so immediately, as soon as I was finished, our stone distribution uh, picked up the film and said, you know, we want it right away. I have been working with the president of Hearthstone Distribution to get him a good classic family film. And I did it in the vein of, of something like Lassie Come Home. Uh, I really, really? Know, I really wanted, yeah, I, I really tried to hit that, you know, timeless, uh, timeless feel where 20 years down the road, you could see this film on television again and, and, and the kids would still yeah. be watching it. That, that, that was my goal with this film. Well, that's great because a, a lot of people today, my, one of my biggest issues of movies today is that they really don't make movies anymore for the small person. And it's, little, it's a little discouraging because they're the ones who are the feature filmmakers. And if we don't listen right. to them, if we don't make films for them, they won't be inspired to create more product in the future. So I see that consistent thing. So I, I love the story of the horror story. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this. In, in the vein of the story, because it does have voices being played by the animals. In, 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 in the vein of the story, what, what could it be compared to? Could it be compared to like a Charlotte's Web? Could it be compared to maybe um, a Black Beauty? What could it be? Could it, it be compared could, to it, anything? Yeah, it, it, could, it could be compared to uh, Charlotte's Web in a sense. Uh, the more modern Charlotte's Web, Babe the Pig uh, type feel. Yes. Uh, our, okay. our cinematic process was really a unique process uh, that I, I had only seen done one other time, and that was uh, a movie called The Book Thief, and it was just a simple five-second oh, clip that. that I had yeah. seen where this horse was talking. And uh, it was actually the Russian version, which Disney had put out. And I hadn't seen... I, it, do you know who Mike the Camel is? The Geico commercial, Mike the Camel, the talking camel, yes. the hump day guy. Yes. Hump day, hump day. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I sat there and, and a couple a couple other distributors, uh, you know, I, I have quite a few friends in Los Angeles. A couple of other distributors had said, hey, JJ, we really want a talking animal movie. The talking animal movie, the talking animal genre is huge. The kids right. film uh, with talking animals, you know, do you have a talking dog movie? Uh, no, I don't have a talking dog movie. Can you write a talking dog movie? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I can, but the ta- I feel the talking dog movie is being overdone. So, uh, right. how's my talking horse, you know? And and they said, we love it. Let's go for it. And um, right. so, th- that, I, I, I did a little bit of research and our cinematic process was, was a lot like Dave the Pig. Uh, we went through and we started out in Maya uh, and then one of my artists decided that he was better at 3D Max. So we switched over to 3D Max using more targets where we did a muzzle replacement on the horse itself. So mm. seamlessly we blended the muzzle with uh, our animated talking muzzle of the horse. And so you have a live action movie with an animated mouth that looks 
you know, photoreal, and it replaces into into the um, into the picture. You know, we we composited it into the picture, and it turned out wonderful. And uh, it really creates a real magical feel where this young girl is walking down the road, and next thing you know, her horse is talking to her, and it's like, <laughs> how did that happen? You know, it's just like <laughs> it's, it's, it's movie magic. <laughs> Is it movie magic for you as well when, when you see it happen in front of your face? Like when you film it, I mean, you, I mean come on, you, you've been doing this for a while now, and, and you've been seeing the sausage being made, and then you see the effects done, like in post. It, it, does it right. still give you jitters? Does it still give you like those little giggles? Or like, wow, that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, it, I, I have to say it does only because I push myself. Um, like, you know, we own a visual effects house uh, or, well, my company is, you know, a post, we also own the post-production and the visual effects and everything like that. Right. So we're kind of full service production. We can, we can handle your needs from uh, concept to completion. And, and keeping that in mind, I've seen so many visual effects made, real, real effects, visual effects, all those. But the, what keeps it magical for me is just, pushing myself, pushing myself to, to new envelopes where I'm finding new cinematic uh, uh, ideas, new, 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 new looks for film, which is very hard to do. Uh, right. Like we, we filmed this film in the middle of the monsoon season in Arizona, um, which if you know anything about that, uh, it, it's hot, it's muggy, uh, but it's gorgeous. You get these fantastic sunsets with lightning, and I wanted to show the, the transfer of time, the change of time over three years in the story. So I was able to get rainstorms, I was able to get lightning, I was able to get you know dark ominous skies, I was able to get bright sunshiny days, I was able to make it look like spring and make it look like winter, um, which shows the transition of time. That's what the story needed because it, you can't ride a horse for three years once it's born in this story starts from the horse being born all the way to to their their winning events together. So Right. I, need. I want to talk Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I I was listening. Go ahead. So you know, I want to talk about about your your actors a, li a little bit more, but before we do that, I want to get into a, a technical question which is uh what what cameras were you using for this film? And what cameras okay. are your favorite to use on a film? Uh, my favorite camera is the Red Epic. Uh, I just love the Red Epic. Uh, we have a Red Epic in-house, uh, and we are able to shoot literally anything with an Epic, uh, two-camera setup, an uh, Epic and a Scarlet or an Epic and an Epic, anything along those lines. My nice. previous film, uh, the horse story was not shot on the Epic, however. we, The horse story was shot on the black magic, the new black magic, uh, right as 4K. the black magic came out. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, we actually shot at 2.5 K, uh, on wow. the black magic, black, black magic 2.5. It was right as the camera had come out. We were one of the first people that had decided that we were going to shoot on, uh, you know, full length feature film on this, on this camera. And we did. Right. Uh, and, and I, I loved it. Uh, da Vinci Resolve was, you know, incredible. If anybody has ever used right. Da Vinci, uh, we were able to pull in shots that I thought were unsavable. 
And uh, right. the background was blown out, you know, and we were able to pull the background back in. And it, it was incredible. It was really, really a dynamic range in the exposure. Uh, 13 stops of latitude. And, and I didn't think it was possible. Yeah. And it was. <laughs> so we it was, shot it was a great the horror story. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 we shot the horror story on the Black Magic. But my favorite, my favorite's the red. My favorite's the red. Epic. Really? Yeah. So versatile. I can, I can fly it on drones. I can. I can I can do anything with it, you know. So uh, the epic is my favorite. I love those. I love those epics. I I have two Black Magic 4Ks, and, and uh, one of the reasons why I did was because I, I love them. And plus, you know, I produce as well, and we make films with with my cameras. But I, I love that Black Magic Black Magic 4K. It's a beautiful camera, but the the Scarlet is something. It's something special. It's a really nice piece of machinery. If you can't afford one, definitely get one. Um, so, oh, yeah. so you obviously you you obviously are love new tech and you're obviously delving into the tech as as you are. Let's go let's go into the actors acting sphere because you you do have really experienced actors like you know Bernie Copel he's 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 an experienced actor he's been acting since what the fifties the forties I mean he's been acting a very long time. Danny Trejo's right. been acting a very long time. How is it like working working on a film like this where you have a digital camera? Is it different for them? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not Danny because he's worked on Machete and a, a bunch of other films where it's just basically green screen and a, and a camera. But right. is it difficult to work to to have these guys understand that cameras no longer look like you know the IMAX cameras used on on The Dark Knight? Well, te- technology has absolutely changed the, the film industry. Uh, I haven't mm-hmm. shot uh, on film. I shot the Hood Stars music video on film, and the other film that we shot before that on 35 millimeter was Dr. Chopper, which was a horrible horror film. Um, and so, I mean, ever since then, it has absolutely changed since the, the Panasonic P2 camera. And it's it's such a faster animal uh, where it used to take days and and extensive amounts of money to, to either shoot on film and process your film and develop your film, get your dailies back. All that can be done in one day now. And, and sure. until recently this year, even when you shot on a digital camera, you still had to process, you know, your dailies. And sometimes it would take a day to transcode the file from the digital camera into uh, a readable format by your computer. But now it's, you shoot, you put it in Adobe Premiere and it, you can view it instantly, uh, which is right. absolutely incredible. So, so I think that all the actors, that, or all the working actors, like those experienced actors that you're talking about, because everybody wants to work those guys every day, they all know how it's changed. They, they're all there on set right. too, you know. So, so everybody has evolved. Uh, this whole film animal has evolved. In fact, I was talking right. uh, just just recently about how. I wanted to go shoot down at Downey Studios and I called up to book Downey Studios for a, a site tour and they said, we tore it down. I said, why? He goes, well, mm-hmm. because there's no need for us anymore. It's all being done by one kid in a Macintosh in a garage. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. And I said, I said, what? He goes, yeah. You know, and this, this, this is a great, that, this was one of the greatest film studios ever ever to be built in Southern California used to be where they built the Apollo wow. 13 rockets and they tore it down. It's where they did GI Joe. Uh, it's where they did post Iron Man. Uh, and they tore it down simply because of, you know, they, they felt that, well, there was lack of business because of 
nobody needed those big rooms anymore because all the CG was being done in, in, in computers as opposed to live action. Yeah, it's, I That's mean, very interesting. It's when, you, when you look at the new Star Wars films, I mean, he's doing, he's doing both practical application as well as, as well as CG as well. So, I, you know, it's interesting how things are changing, but you look at, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams, you look at Joss Whedon, you look at uh, Christopher Nolan, you look at Quentin Tarantino, and those are the guys who fought for film to continue to be made, film continue to be made in Hollywood. Would. But my thing with, with, with especially with like Quintarantino, one of my one of my faves, is that he has that luxury. He does have that luxury of using film, wasting film, because he's a genius. So and everybody knows this, and he's proven it. So he can use film anytime he wants. But for a lot of us, digital is a lot easier because, at least for my feeling, because we can make more product faster, cleaner, seed earlier. Opposed to a Quentin, which I completely understand where him and Christopher Nolan are coming from, but it's a, I think it's a different avenue. I think it's a different perspective on filmmaking than the digital a- a- avenue. What, what are your thoughts on that? I I I agree that once you reach a certain status, that you'll be able to afford the luxury of shooting on film. It, it's right. very much so more expensive. Uh, if you go to film school, like, you know, a good film school like UCLA or, or USC or, you know, some, someplace like that, they will still make you shoot film, uh, especially if you're right. going to AFI, American Film Institute, down there in uh, Hollywood. They're going to want you to shoot on film if you can for your master thesis just simply because if you reach that level, there are still people out there that are shooting film because it just simply looks so good. It's that softness that, that, that attracts the eye. It takes a trained eye to see it. Uh, and, and if you reach that studio level, they're still going to ask you to shoot on film, which is, which is incredible because uh, a lot of people don't even think of films being made on film anymore. But, yeah, you're correct. There's a lot of guys out there that have that status that, that still shoot on film, that love to shoot on film. And because of the look that film gives, they will always continue to shoot on film until their last film is ever made. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you, yeah. you know, and, one, of, one of the most interesting uh, credits I see in, in, your, in your credits of work is Special Ops Delta Force. Uh, is that the Chuck Norris film? No, that, that one was, uh, oh, God, I can't even, that was a long time ago. <laughs> That yes. was with Commissioner yes, Mark Berman. <laughs> that was uh, Special House Delta Force. I have to, I have to, I have to even look up that one myself. Um, that was with uh, Cole, Cole McKay. Uh, I remember the director. Yes. Um, we shot it in Los Angeles. We shot it out at Blue Cloud Ranch, um, and that was with uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Commissioner Chair Commissioner Mark Berman. Uh, he was a producer friend of mine. He's a commissioner in Los Angeles now, and uh, nice. And that, that was probably that was probably about the oh god, that was probably about the eighth or ninth film that I'd done with Mark, and uh, and uh, it was a fun shoot. It was a fast shoot, and that was one of the first films that actually really got to work on some real time effects when we were making stuff blow up. It was kind of cool. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> but no, that was that was not the uh, that was not the uh, one with Chuck Norris. Uh, that was with uh, right. a bunch of stunt guys that uh, that 
work consistently in Los Angeles. And uh, Cole McKay had asked them, had written this film and said, you know, hey, guys, can we do this? And uh, we got a chance to actually make that film, which was great. Shot over about 15 15 days and we pulled it off. Iraqi terrorist type like film. It was good. Good times. Nice. This is back in your back in your acting days, and, and to go back to go back to the horse story because you know it, it's really it's really hilarious because when you look at your when you look at your career and boys and girls who are listening right now, and we have got a, a large crowd listening to you right now. When you look at his IMDb, this is the way your IMDb should look like if you want to if you want to spread yourself around the media industry properly. And this is this is the thing I've seen the most of. First of all, he has self credits. Thanks. Thanks is really important because sometimes you work on projects that you don't have credit for. So when you thank that person, it links you to that project. Writer, director, miscellaneous crew. That's hilarious to me, by the way, is that you have miscellaneous crew in there. But also, (laughs) one of the biggest things you have on there is camera and electrical department, which is... Which is one of your seems to be if anybody were to look up your IMDb, which be would be your mainstay, but it's not. Um, no, it's not. I, I saw the trailer for. <laughs> no, it's not. So, so tell me this, and I've said this before. Everybody in in our generation constantly said, "Don't work with children. Don't work with animals. They're the worst." Now, I've never found that to be the truth, and and I found the big contradictions all over the place. What what are your feelings on this? Uh, we're we're going to film in 2014 with an animal and with a child. Right. Uh, it, I, the reason why they say don't work with children and animals is because it's going to eat up time, and your time time is money, which is budget, and so eventually right. your your budget will be compressed, and your your time will will be of a loss, and you will end up not completing your film. Uh, that, that's right. one of the reasons why they say it because children, you know, uh, uh, a lot of them have, you, well, there's rules to working with children in the, in the first place. Right. You have to have an onset teacher. They have to have a certain amount of time that they uh, are set inside a classroom on set. So you have to have somebody there to teach them. And, and when you're ready to go, all of a sudden they're in school for 45 minutes doing their, their, their homework and your film crew's sitting around waiting. Or the other one that you mentioned was working with animals. Uh, very, very difficult to get animals to do uh, the same thing twice. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that, that's what making movies is all about. You know, you got you to you know, do that take two, take three, take four. And Again, to get an animal right. to do the same thing is like, is like you know, uh, unless you've got a pocket full of treats and they're interested in the treats that you have, I, I, they're still not going to do the same thing, <laughs> but I, right. I was, right. I was extraordinarily lucky. Uh, just like my career. Uh, I hired a young lady, Jackie Jacobson. She's a professional actress. That's what she really, really intends to do. And she was great. She carried the film as a 10 year old should, you know, I, I think she's actually 12 or 13 now. But she carried the film. She was right. incredible. She was an incredible little actress. Studied her heart out, was absolutely poured every every thought that she had into it and was 100% on her game as an actress. And that was so impressive. Uh, she, she put all her heart into it. And then number two, 
I had hired the Bell family, family out of Arizona, and they are professional mm. animal wranglers, horse wranglers, and they they train horses for for the movies. Uh, in fact, they are you talking uh, about Joe have Bell? a long yeah, Joe, Joe Bell, Joe and Jesse. Yeah, mm. correct. They they both uh, well, their father used to be John Wayne's personal wrangler. Um, so their right. their lineage of, of horse wrangling goes back and stunts. These guys right. can do anything with stunt, uh, stunts on a horse, anytime, anywhere. It's amazing. And Jesse, I, I called up. They can Jesse do that old school Jesse. laying on. They can do oh, the old that? school laying on the side, right? The, 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 the horse can lay on its side, and it, it can, you can ride on the side of the horse. You can do all of those old style tricks with these guys, right? Oh yeah, they they can they can make rearing horses. In fact, uh, in our movie, we have a rearing horse. Uh, they have horses mm. that. That will will lay down. Uh, they have horses that'll bow, and I used wow. as many of their tricks as, as they could give me in this movie. It was kind of neat. <laughs> um, you know, I have I have rearing horses. I have I have horses that will you know lay down. I have horses that that uh, will bow and all kinds of things. So, so working with those wow. big animals and work, working with the Bell family was extraordinarily uh, a, a good, beautiful thing, and. Uh, you know, I wasn't that bad with the horses either. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, oh, wait, maybe it's because of their training. That's why I wasn't so bad with the horses either. No, we, right. The horses, the, the, the horses that we actually have were so extraordinary. Uh, the main horse, uh, her na- her actual name is Double Dot. Uh, it's uh, the, the horse that plays champion. Uh, champion is the main horse in the movie. I could, I could come yes. up to this horse and I could, I could tell her to hug the other horse and she would lean her head into the other horse and nudge the other horse. Like she was, you know, having an intimate, intimate intimacy, you know, hugging the other horse. It was incredible. I could, I could tell this wow. horse to shake its head. Yes or no. And this horse would shake its head. Yes or no. Um, <laughs> it was, it was fascinating. It was fun. It was fun. They're definitely me- the horses were professionals too. So, you know, it, those are huge animals that can kill you on a whim if they desire. And they're amazing. Horses are amazing that way. Or they look in the eyes, they give you a certain amount of respect, and you're like, I give you respect too. Why? Because I know you can kill me very easily. <laughs> so tell me, well, when you, right? so you, you made the horse story, and this movie is obviously going to be a, a family movie, gee, which, which, by the way, I love. Because... It's very difficult to make a G movie like The Prince's Bride or The Black Stallion or anything like that and have people not go, oh, it's G, that's made for children. If you look at sneakers that uh, that starred like River Phoenix and, and uh, some other brilliant actors, that was basically a PG movie that had no death, no cussing. The action was very was really awesome, but there was no death in the film. So it stayed PG. It's one of my favorite films. Because they were able, and so is like Napoleon Dynamite and, and, and Nacho Libre. One of the reasons why is they're able to make G films accessible for everybody. It's not some Pollyannish junk. It's, it's a film made for almost anybody, but really aimed at families. And that's what I see from a horror story. Did you take that avenue when you were filming this film or when you were writing it? Did you, do you think to yourself, we need to take, you know, not a Pollyannish, Anna's perspective on this story and go forward with it, or what was your what was your what was your brain like when you were writing this movie? Uh, my brain was I was consumed being a horse uh, <laughs> when I, when I was writing this film. I, I I you know tried to 
she, well, one, writing about a kid and writing about a magical animal is, is right. difficult in itself. So I had to put myself in the, in the mindset of, you know, I'm younger. I, I have to think as a younger person, what's fun as a younger person, you know, my daily activities as a younger person, what, what do I have to do as a 12 year old? Well, I have to do my chores. I have to do, I have to do schoolwork. So I had to bring back, you know, the childhood days and remember what it was like to be a child and those things that I wanted to do as a child. You know, I had to feed the dogs. I had to do my homework. You know, I had, had to feed, you know, feed the horse. My sister had to feed the horse, uh, those types of things. You know? right. uh, so I had to go back there, getting dropped off us, you know, the daily, the daily things. And I had to bring that sort of conversation in from the horse. <laughs> and hmm. so, that, you know, there's certain things where, the horse is talking about the school bus, you know, or like just like that big old school thing, you know, that big old yellow thing you get on in the morning. That's the school bus. That's not school, you know. So there's you right. know, witty banter. Be- there's witty banter between the uh, the lead actress and the horse, you know, and they have they have to you know show that friendship, and and she's trying to show him, you know, what her life is like, and their their friendship between them. So. So yeah, I, I I had to I had to put my I had to change my mindset from my normal type controversial type writing um, and right. change it a little bit for the general audience. There's not a huge conflict in in, in general audience films. There is a little conflict, right. but there's not huge conflict. And so I, I I I went down that path. In fact, my distributor even said, you know, is there enough conflict in this film? Uh, personally, I, I I don't see that every film has to have a huge amount of conflict. Um, of course, it makes the story more gripping and, and everything like that. But but you know, there's a lack of good-hearted films in America right now that that are just geared towards this general audience that that people need right. to watch. That that you turn on the TV and you see guns and people getting blown up. And yes, that's all fun. That, that's a good movie. But it's part of the reason why a lot of these kids are taking guns to school. And, yes. and so that, that, that's one of the things that, you know, really struck me with, with some of the, the shootings and why some of these shootings are, are happening in America is because there's not enough good-hearted content. Everybody is playing Xbox and shooting each other, and they think that it's really what life is about. Well, it's not. It's just entertainment. Yeah. And that's something that when I was in college that I was taught. Entertainment is entertainment to be a good hearted person and to actually have, you know, goals and morals and values is what life's about. Entertainment's entertainment. It's just a TV show. We're blowing that up because we're bored. It's not because we want it to happen in real life, you know? And, yeah. and so I think that's something that has to be brought back into the educational system. Entertainment's entertainment. We do this for entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment purposes only. And uh, I think that well, I, I think that I once, once people do that, it won't change it. I agree. You know, once I, you know, when I was looking at your project, and the one thing I lo- really, really love about this is that you're speaking to the the people who are going to grow up to be those people. That you're you're challenging and you're educating those children who are going to have troubles in their future, and I, and I like that because as a teacher. I, I do the same thing. You, you want to inspire the young people so when they grow up, they don't steal from us or, or make the same stupid mistakes we made. You want them to make all new, brand new stupid mistakes. 
I do have a I do have a story, right? But I, I do have a storytelling question here, and it, it applies to writing for females. Now you wrote this you wrote this movie, and you wrote it for essentially a ten year old girl and a horse. What is the thought process that goes to your mind? Because a lot of my protagonists in my stories are females as well. What is your thought process when you're writing for a female? Do you think to yourself, this is a girl and this is the way a girl talks? Or do you just talk normally and allow the actress to fill in the blanks? What is, what is your avidity toward that, towards that sphere? Uh, yeah, my, my script writing process, I like to map it out first. Um, you know, my story events, uh, I think that's a big help. Uh, and, then, and then as far as what I like to do, in the writing process is character behaviorals. Um, I like to give my character their own unique individual behavior uh, or say character identification, what makes them themselves like uh, this, this young actress or this young character in my film was exceptionally good and exceptionally friendly and very knowledgeable. I felt was, you know, the type of character that I, I needed to make her. So she was also she also had a lot of humor in her. Um, so there's you know some comedy that goes in there. So so those are some of the character behaviorals that that I developed for my character. And once I map that out, it's definitely I'm you know I am 100% full blown male. So it's very difficult for me to write for a female. But I think I did a good job. I just took it in the sense <laughs> of I <laughs> I took it in the sense of uh, growing up as a kid. Kids are kid. Be a kid it, it is to, you know, to, to have fun, to, to, to every day, you know, want to go play, want to go, go, you know, run around in the, in the woods, want to, you know, you want to, you want to see your next door neighbor and invite them over and have fun and go out and do things. So, so I took that aspect. It was harder to write the mother role than I think it was to write the kids role because in the mother, mm. in, uh, in the film, there's a you know a boyfriend girlfriend type scenario going on between the the little girl and and, uh, and uh, a boy that likes her you know whether the little boy wants to take her to the dance and and, and such like that uh, so it was harder to write the reactions of the of the mother <laughs> so so when that that came about uh, I kind of put in the general general reactions and general reactions that I thought the mother would have. And then I, I, I had Kara Wall, who was absolutely fabulous, Bob Wall's daughter, Kara Desmond Wall. Yes. And she played it out correct. Uh, she was, you know, nice. doing her little spy thing, listening into what the kids are talking about while he's trying to ask her out and stuff like that. And the concerned mother about, hey, great, she's coming of age, uh, and he's coming of age, and they've known each other forever, so there's no harm in that, you know, type like feel. And it was, uh, you know, it was the girl next door type, like, you know, uh, story. So it, it was a great little, great little, uh, great little, uh, I, guess, I guess you would say a great little subplot to it, that uh, boy right. meets girl type like thing. And, uh, yeah. of course, that create that goes back to your other, your, your main thought, which is, is this young lady going to lose, you know, track of her responsibilities of being a friend with her horse like she had committed to Right, right. Responsibility. You know, I, I can talk to you all day long. Yes, I, you know, I had this whole thing planned out, and, and by the, we, we, we've gone almost over time. I, I literally have a minute left of the show left, and I can talk to you for like literally for another half an hour. 
uh, I loved having you on the show. I loved hearing about the movie. I loved hearing about all of your processes of writing to producing to directing to even working on gaffing. You just worked on scribblers. Uh, you know, I mean, you work on just a lot of things. But the, the thing we're focused on right now is a horse story. So please tell us, JJ, how can we get in contact with you? How can we watch all of your things? How can we, how can we do this? Okay. Uh, really, the easiest way to get in contact with me is to drop me a line. Uh, anybody that drops me a line in email at JJ hyphen or JJ dash Rogers at JJ dash Rogers dot com, I will try to get back to you. Uh, anybody that tries to get in contact with me on Facebook, uh, it's uh, I'm JJ. Well, if you just Google JJ Rogers producer or JJ Rogers filmmaker, I come up and. Uh, my company is 18 Entertainment. That's Roman numeral XVIII Entertainment LLC. And that's also on Facebook. Uh, we just opened up a, a distribution company where we're going to start distributing films for other companies besides ourselves now. And so if anybody has any films that you know are looking or need distribution, contact us because we're in the process of you know putting films out there for other people too. So that, that could be something, some line of business that we could talk about. I think basically the easiest awesome. way is probably just to you know look me up and shoot me an email. Uh, I'm easy to get in touch with. Not, I answer my emails every day. That's awesome. So horror stories coming out very soon. Are, are there any pro- other projects that you're that you want to plug before before we say goodbye? Sure. Um, thanks for the opportunity on that. Yeah, we have a, a film that's going to be released on video on demand this month called Hero of the Day. Um, it's, uh, it's more of an adult content rated R film. Um, it's okay. about, uh, one man trying to redeem his life in one day, uh, an ex NFL football player. Uh, we also nice. have the Linda Vista project, which is the story about the Linda Vista hospital and my true paranormal Ooh. team that, that went through there. That yeah. was kind of fun. And then, uh, if anybody awesome. wants to see good cinematography work, I did the jib scenes and the scribbler. Uh, the ending fight scene where they're fighting in the rain uh, on the scribblers. So if you want to see some of what I can do with some yeah. of my cinematography, if you go on uh, and the scribbler is now on demand at the uh, on demand on Xbox and on demand on a lot of channels yes. right now, I think. And so I, I was I, uh, I a jib of, operator. I, a weeks ago. I, I love the graphic novel a great deal. So I saw that you're Jib Operator for that. It was really well done. And and you said you did the end film when it was basically done like Batman and Robin style where they're horizontal and they're fighting right. along the, the walls of the of the building. That's what you're talking about, right? Right, right. Yep. They're, it's, it was great. a huge rain-making scene. We're operating the jib, shooting the cameras in this rain on top of this hospital. Same same hospital, one of the hospital, actually. And it, it turned out excellent. Very very excellent. I, I love I love I love that episode. I love the show. Boys and girls, watch that show. It, it, it's going to go in the same vein as Arrow and The Flash. It, it's it's very much in the same vein, but it's it's done by um, it's more of a darker comic, like more like Dark Horse Comics. And please continue. Yeah. Are, are there any other projects that uh, that we should keep our eyes open for? Oh, th- those those are probably the ones that I like to push. Uh, there's. Uh, Maybe a couple more. Uh, Six Gun Savior, my friend Frank Zanka. Uh, I did some more uh, associate producing and, and uh, jib operation with him on that. Another movie that, that we just finished up called Alien Hunger that's going to be coming out soon. 
Um, a company, my company's distributing uh, Glory Days. Uh, that's another film that we just acquired from uh, Roy Alfred Jr. That's got uh, Stephen Adler, Joe Perry, uh, Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, Joe Perry from Aerosmith in it. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to go as mainstream as we can, uh, put our best foot wow. forward. And, and like our company, like our company motto or our company mission statement is, a, is an independent studio that supports independent filmmakers. If there's anybody out there that, you know, needs help, just give us a call. We'll, we'll try to guide you or drop us a line. We'll try to guide you in the right direction to, to make your project happen. That's incredibly kind and generous of you. And we really appreciate you being on the show as being one of one of great personalities. Uh, there's a lot of people online right now just listening to you talk, being inspired by uh, the way you're describing your work and the way that you look towards your future. We're very, very proud and happy for you, and we can't wait to see your future projects. Boys and girls, this is the great J.J. Rogers. Thank you so much for being on the show this weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you later on this week, and we'll keep on plugging your stuff. And I hope we have you on soon to re- to review and look at your stuff some more and, and plug some future things as well. Absolutely, Steve. Anytime. Just give me a call. You know, uh, love to talk to you. Okay? Thank you, JJ. I, I hope you enjoy yourself today. I hope you have yourself a great weekend. Thanks. Talk to you shortly. Thank you, sir. All right, boys and girls. That was a great show, wasn't it? Na, 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 na. Oh. There's the music. JJ is a great guy, isn't he? I could have talked to him for an hour. I, I, I kind of misplaced my conversation piece because I literally could have talked to him for another hour. Them's the breaks. Had a great time with him. He was a great Nick Reisinger, a great makeup artist. He told, told us about his perspective on makeup and special effects in the future and how much he liked face-off or didn't like face-off. I mean, just people's opinions. For one thing, he's a purist, so I can see why he couldn't like that show. And people who don't know anything about makeup, I can see why they like that show, because they don't know anything about it. Where the great J.J. Rogers, or John Rogers, from A Horse Story, A Horse Story, to look it up, please. What a great guy. Coming on the show. Thank you, Suzanne Bell. Thank you very much for bringing him on the show. I really, greatly appreciate it. Thank you to everybody for advertising the show today. Said, look up John Rogers, J.J. Rogers for a horse story. Look up Nick Reisinger. And if you need anybody to work on your movie, makeup, special effects, Nick's the guy to go to. Gracious, kind, sweet, works his butt off. If you want to produce, direct, write, do different things, promote your films, get your films out there, talk to J.J. Rogers, John Rogers from Horse Story. He obviously put it out there. And from what I know, I'm bluffing these in the shipping industry. You can reach him at uh, JJ Rogers at JJ Rogers.com. I hope his friends had a great time. I hope you had a great time. God bless you all. Thank you very much for listening today. Go out today and hug your family. Love your family. Watch a movie. You only get one chance at this. Why be negative? Seriously. You're going to have people all your life telling you what you can or cannot do. Don't do it to yourself. Be good. Be well. Love your family. See you next week.